week and uh, really just kind of focus on engage the culture and the culture we live in is so diverse and so I think Levi captured that you see like the highs and the highs and the lows uh, there are of culture and the pain and the suffering and the victories and all kinds of things that happen and so how do we engage the culture uh, particularly where we are today I believe that God has called each one of us to live in this this time for this place and I know he has a plan for us and and so we're gonna look at the life of Joseph and apply some of the truths that we see in Joseph's life to how we can engage the culture I feel like so often as Christians uh, we're just uh, frustrated with the culture and kind of angry and uh, and we either try and pull away or we try and uh, you know overcome what we think is wrong by just uh, this kind of arrogant attitude that we're right and this judgment and I think there's we, I know there's an incredible opportunity for us to uh, to really stop and engage the culture that's around us and, and that's God's desire uh, for us is to be able to do that so I'm just really excited to kind of take that on over the next several weeks and I know some of you will be frustrated with me and others will not and that's kind of how it goes but you know that's okay uh, the uh, it, it's almost like the way the culture is is kind of the way the mornings start because some of you come here and just it's on a high man everything's going good life's good things you kind of have all together and uh, you just come in with excitement and it's fun the, the big thing is uh, make sure and introduce yourself to the people around you so you can get like a free meal uh, after this at the barbecue and uh, they'll buy if you just introduce yourself they'll buy for you it's cool uh, and and so you come kind of excited and then others are just kind of drudging through a day you know you got some horrible news or things are really uh, bleak in your life and it's almost like you're on this kind of heaviness and maybe this verge of depression and, and one old saint described it that we all come and we're all working out before God our complicated destinies uh, God and man mangled together and I just kind of love that picture. Every single one of us is in this process where we're just uh, mangled together with God and we're working out our destinies and God is doing what he's doing in each one of our lives. And we just kind of have a privilege to come together and, and take our eyes off of ourselves and put our eyes on the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. That's the really, I feel like um, my role is nothing other than just point people to Christ. And there's times we are so uh, in bondage to the things in our lives that we can't just come together and focus on Christ. And, and it's at those times we really need to kind of uh, examine ourselves and what's really going on and go to counseling or get help. But uh, for most of us, there's uh, most times we can come together and there's good and bad in our lives and we can still stop and put our focus on God. Uh, you know, as we come up to the, this end of the year, Many of you students know that we're getting towards this final testing time. And uh, final testing time kind of reminds me of my college years and, and going back that time. And yeah, it was a long time ago. But, uh, but I had a really simple rules and it was amazing how it made college really relatively easy for me. But the rule was just you, you go to class and you listen. I know it's really on an edge concept. Yeah, and, uh, but if they just taught you that, it'd, it'd shock you because the professors usually tell you what's on the test. I, you know, hey, you don't need to know that. This is interesting, but it's not on the test. This is on the test. You need to know that. 
And, uh, and it would be so funny because I had so many friends as we get close to finals week and they'd be stressing out and, and studying all this stuff that wasn't on the test. And I would think, you know, he told us that's not on there, but learn this, you know, let's learn this. And, and it was just like, it was like this huge, huge burden to go to class that you're paying for. And, uh, and it's like you have to be somewhere three or four hours a day and that's it, okay? That's your responsibility to show up three or four hours a day. I think you can pull it off. Okay, just, just pull it off. And it's amazing. But uh, the story is told about a, a professor who was given his final, and he had two rules for the students as they came in. It was really a difficult class. And he said, first of all, I want you to use ink for all your answers. Okay, so you're either going to scribble out everything, but there's not going to be any erasing. And then I want you to read every question before you answer any. And then he said, begin. And of course... Uh, People started looking at the tests and they knew the answers, so they started scratching them down because they didn't want to mess around with going back and, and re-reading re and re-felling. And, and the last question just simply said, um, if you just sign your name here and turn this in and don't write on any other questions, you get 100%. <laughs> and you could hear the groans from people. <laughs> And you could see the frustration in their faces and trying to figure out how they can scratch out all their answers. But uh, it's simple. You sign your name, you, you find out what's on the test, and you get 100%. And, and so, of course, in my life, uh, it's been a privilege, really, that God has given us to, to deal with these uh, issues of, of cancer and, and uh, these issues of months of life. Or, you know, it was funny, we were laughing with some friends this week about that, and and how, you know, who knows, God can heal me and, and, uh, and this could go. And, and we had some friends over and he said, you know, you don't get to, because I said there's just this small window to share the gospel. And he said, well, you don't get to pick the size of the window. And then he also said, you know, it might be where everybody's going to be going, when's this guy going to die? You know, <laughs> which I love. That's my friends. You know, it's like, how long is this going to drag on, man? You know, so uh, you, that might, might might be the case you never know what God does but that being said it really forces you to kind of evaluate your life and I really feel the same this year as I did last year my thoughts are really the same and 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 I just kind of want to convey that to you uh, bef before we kind of leave these just general topics and, and dig into the culture but really the question the first question I really want to ask is what's on God's final test for you what's on God's final test for you I think it's something we all need to know uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 9 says, and as much as it appointed for men to die once, and then after this, judgment. You see, it's pretty impressive stats, but every one of us in here is going to die. Unless the Lord returns, uh, you're going to die. Now, you know, we can try whatever you want to do to pull it off. It's uh, inevitable. <laughs> we're going to die. And then we're going to face judgment. And, and it makes it a little difficult for us because we don't understand. We don't see what happens after death. And uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes, just to paraphrase, most people think that was Solomon, he, he talks about it kind of in around chapter 9 issue there, but he just talks about how it seems so tragic that, that there's one fate that comes upon everyone and they all die, right? And so because of that, people are not more careful to be good, uh, which we talked about last week, that really God is good, agathos, God is the only one who is purely good. So we're not more careful to pursue God and to chase God and to surrender to God because we kind of choose our own course seems like there's no hope because there's nothing ahead because everybody dies 
And you can go to a funeral of someone who's a believer who's lived their life pursuing God and you can, you can see the joy in the funeral but they're still the same casket as someone who has spent their whole lives for themselves and just chasing the things of the world. And of course, we haven't been there after life so we don't know. And so everybody's this, like this inevitable death but there's also this, this kind of gray of what's gonna happen afterwards unless we have the authority of the word of God. And really, that's my authority that I stand on, is God's word. Uh, it's something that we struggle with, but I just challenge every one of you, just challenge you to, to take on the word of God. The evidence is overwhelming as to why the word of God is true, not just part of it, all of it. And I challenge you to take it on. We have a class, it's called Discover Discipleship. It's at 9.30 uh, downstairs, and then we're starting another one at 10.45 that's led by Mark. And uh, we're starting on the one at 1045 in January. But it, it gives you a chance to just dig in. If the word of God is not your authority, uh, make sure it's not your authority because you're convinced based on your study that it's not true. Okay? Don't just say, well, I, I don't like, you know, I heard about what they did to the, to the tribes in the Old Testament. And I heard about the pigs. And I heard about this. And I heard about these laws. Uh, don't just say that. Okay? Don't just say, I feel like it shouldn't be this way. That doesn't seem right. That's not what our world says. No, no, no. You dig in and prove to yourself that the Bible's wrong. And when you prove to the self that the Bible's wrong, then you walk away strongly saying, I reject that. But I challenge you to do that. Because inevitably, when you try to do that, you'll find that the Bible is absolute word of truth of God. And all of a sudden, your authority changes as to why you make decisions and what is happening in this life as well as eternal life. And it's amazing what God has taught us and what he's showing us through his word. So uh, I, I, I just leave that as a challenge. The book of Romans, Paul tells us each one of us is going to give us account of himself before God. That would mean you. Every one of you. You ready? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And the final test, if you want to simplify it, as you break down the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, you tie the whole thing together, the final test is really gonna have one simple question. What have you done with Jesus Christ? What have you done with Jesus Christ? You know, you can skip all the other questions. Well, I was a pretty good girl, pretty good guy. You know, I gave some money to fall Philip that year. <laughs> right? I didn't have to, but I did. I helped this person, I helped that person. I've done some pretty good things in my life or I've really messed up some huge things that I could never overcome, that God could never forgive me and I'm stuck in my past and I'm frustrated and he'll never forgive me so I'm gonna live my whole life in the past. I've, I've committed some horrible sins or some horrible sin was committed against me and so somehow I can never be whole, I can never be right with God, right? And, and, we, and we have all these questions in our minds about God and what we've done and what we can't do but the question is, what have you done with Jesus Christ? And all of us will have our final destinies determined by that question. What have you done with Jesus Christ? There's two main places of judgment in Scripture. One is in the book of Revelation. And so if you flip to the end of the Bible, Revelations chapter 20. And uh, this is the great white throne. And personally, I don't believe as believers in Jesus Christ, we will be at the great white throne. Some believe that, but I don't. Um, I believe that uh, this is the place where unbelievers will be judged. And so those who have done nothing with Jesus Christ or rejected him as Savior 
or just kind of decided that he wasn't God, that they were, uh, this is what God tells us will happen. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were open. And another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so it's like you have this book of life or not. And if your name is not written in the book of life, you're judged on your deeds, okay? So you go before God, and, you, and he evaluates your deeds, how many good things you've done. And of course, if you were here last week, you know that, that only God is good. Only God is truly, purely good. So it's not just that you did a good deed externally or that somehow you lived a pretty good life, but it's like your deeds have to be Godly, which means they have to be perfect, which means every thought and every action throughout eternity has to be perfect, or else the destiny awaiting us is um, the lake of fire. And it's a somber thing. But that's not my idea. That's not what I created. That's not my thought. Okay? That's just what the Word of God says. If that's your authority, that's what the Word of God says. If it's not, hey, Go for yourself. Trust yourself as God and go be judged according to your deeds. And uh, it's, it's horrible. <laughs> but that's the way we are given that choice. Now there's another judgment for believers and that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you go back a bit after Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And this is where I believe the Christians, those who know Christ as Savior, will be evaluated. And, and the judgment for our sin is taken on by Christ. It's a really simple transaction. The reason we're, our name is in the book of life is because of what Jesus Christ has done. The reason that, that for any, any Christian who knows Christ as Savior is going to heaven is because they've trusted what Christ has done, not because of their good deeds, but because of his, because he died, because he took on sin. He died for all sin. And we're just simply accepting what he's done for us. And thus, there's still this other this other evaluation at the Bema Seed in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians verse 5 says, He who prepared us for this very purpose is God. He gave us his spirit as a pledge. Okay, so we have the spirit as a down payment. His spirit is with us now. And therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the Lord. We walk by faith, not by sight. And we are of good courage, I say, and we prefer rather to be absent from the body to be at home with the Lord. That's why it's so peaceful to go through these, evalu these um, stages of life where you're facing death because truly that's the greatest day in the world for a believer is to go home with the Lord. And then in verse 9 he says, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him, for we must all be appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad and that is the bema seed and we we, we talked about these two uh, judgments a, a, a year or so ago but it's the bema seed it's the place like where the greeks would give their rewards for the athletes 
And it's, um, we, we would picture it more as the Olympics, where you get your gold, silver medal, you're victorious, or you get a team medal, okay? You're all in the Olympics, and now we're going to reward those who had the greatest performances. And we will appear as believers before the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to be recompensed, we're going to get rewarded, we're going to uh, get that based on the deeds we've done in the body while we're here on this earth, okay? And whether they're good or bad. And, and the cool thing about that is, in the Greek, the good is our word from last week, agathos, okay? And only God is good. So whether the things we do in the body we allow God to do through us, that's what's good. That's it. The things we do in the flesh that we think are good, that we think look good, that in our minds we have decided is good, worthless. And that's what bad is. The word bad there in the Greek is worthless. So the things we do in the body are either good, the things that God does through us, or they're worthless. It's pretty simple evaluation. And so that's kind of, just to boil it down really simply, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Have you trusted him as your savior? Is he the reason for your hope in the future? And then have you surrendered to him as your Lord? And it's a moment by moment, day by day thing. Am I gonna trust God living through me? And we'll talk a little bit about that, how we do that. But then there's also this whole aspect of, you know, we always wanna be great. And so how do we become great in God's kingdom? If you go back to the very first book of the New Testament, the book of Matthew, Jesus gives us uh, kind of a picture of how we'll be ranked in heaven. Matthew chapter 18. And it's really not exactly what we would expect. As a matter of fact, it's kind of the opposite of what we would expect for good reason. But he says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus is there and his disciples came to him and they are like, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called before them a child and he set him before them. So he has this child before them and here's what Jesus said. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, he brings us back to that really crux point. What have you done with Jesus Christ? What have you done with me at this time, he was saying. But unless you repent, unless you turn to Christ, unless you trust him as Savior, you won't be in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and he says, whoever then humbles himself as this child is the greatest in the kingdom. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it's better for him that a heavy millstone be hung around his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. Okay, so catch this. This is really, to me, what I want to talk about. And let's just take a second and pray, okay? Because I just, uh, Satan, you just leave now in Jesus' name. We have been bought and paid for by the blood of Christ. We are his. And I just trust you, God. And I pray, God, that you would speak to each and every one of us by the power of your spirit that you would just be exalted, that you would be lifted on high, that each one of us would leave here in our minds firmly knowing what we've done with Jesus Christ, that we would leave here surrendered to you, abiding with you, and that you would use us as your mighty army to impact this world for Christ's sake. We just thank you for the privilege of your word and your truth and just uh, make it clear to us. God, as, as each person here has their own... Uh, lives and their own destinies and their own things that they're working out before you and I pray God you would speak right to them and uh, if that means just blocking me out and you speaking to them that's my desire please speak to them in Jesus name amen so catch this because see to me and I think we we tend to lose sight of this in our world because we have an enemy who's always trying to counterfeit the things of God 
And, but to me, true courage is surrendering ourselves to Christ. The most courageous people you know are those who surrender to Christ. Now see, to us, in our society, in our world, we think of courage as kind of summoning up within ourselves the best of ourselves, right? Allows us to charge into battle. Allows us to do incredible things beyond ourselves. That's the courageous one, okay? And so it's kind of this incredible thing that we just, where did that come from? It's like ourselves just making the best of ourselves. And to me, true courage is surrendering to Jesus Christ. Because you see, we're afraid to go beyond where I'm in control, and that's what that takes. You see, we're afraid to go beyond where I'm safe, where I'm competent, where I got it all together. I have to get to the end of myself and surrender to Christ. That takes courage, that's scary. That is really scary. Because I got nothing if God doesn't come through. That's scary. And in our country, that, that sense of surrender to Christ, which really is humility, is considered a fault. It's a weakness. Right? That's a weakness. That's not courage. That's a weakness. You're just weak. You're surrendering to Christ. You're allowing God to do whatever he wants to do. You're trusting him rather than yourself. We're supposed to be self-assertive and self-assured and self-confident and self-sufficient. But God's standard is humility, and so if Satan, of course, wants to counterfeit that. And he wants to deceive us, and he wants to give us this false picture and try and make humility a fault, not a virtue. But true humility is just entire dependence on God. That's how I describe it simply. Tozer has written a book on it called Humility, which is great if you want to dig into the subject. But true humility is just entire dependence on God, and that's the standard of glory in heaven. And if you stop and think about we're here for one little dot of time, you know, if you put a dot in the middle of that screen where all those screens enter, that's our time on earth. And everything else, not only in this room, but the rest of space is eternity, right? And your greatness, we think, is about how much stuff I can accumulate and how powerful I can be here and how many things I can, that I can accomplish and, and, you know, where I land in, in my resources and, and, you know, how secure I can be here in this world, that's the little dot on the screen. And the standard of glory for everything else, for the rest of eternity, forever and ever and ever, is humility, surrendering to Christ. It's not having a low opinion of yourself. C.S. Lewis writes well about that. It's not like a pretty woman saying she's ugly. It's not like an educated, smart person thinking, oh, I'm so stupid, you know. It's not like a skilled craftsman saying, well, that's not good work, or I couldn't make that. We've had some amazing gifts um, in our time, in our houses, by craftsmen building countertops and cabinets and, and just incredible things. And, and they're absolutely skilled and beautiful. And, and to somehow say, ah, oh, that isn't very good, okay? That's not humility. That's still considering yourself. That's just a low opinion of yourself. Uh, but true humility is self-forgetfulness. You don't even think about yourself. And that's really the true relation between our creator God, this perfect, almighty, great I am, and us, his creation, is when we are humble. When we're humble. We don't think about ourselves, we think about him. One author said we start unselfing ourselves. We unself ourselves. The end is God, it's not me. 
right? I didn't create myself. I didn't bring myself into being. I'm not the end of myself. It's all about God. It's about him. But because of, thin, because of sin, we think it's all about me. The created somehow think this is all about us rather than the creator. It's really stupid if you think about it, right? But we become occupied with ourselves and this big me kind of wants to have center stage and I never become free from myself because I'm always thinking about me and pride rolls in and, and it's about me and how everything affects me instead of just stopping and thinking the things in my life, the good and the bad and the struggles and the great things in my life are about Jesus Christ. And how can I bring glory to him? What do you want me to learn about these things, God? Humility is the one thing needed to allow God's holiness to dwell in us and to shine through us. And we have an example in Jesus Christ. In the book of Philippians chapter 2, we read about Jesus as he came to earth. You see, what's amazing about our example and how our God loves us so much is he brought the greatness to us. He brought the picture of humility to us. Unto you a child is born. He brought the Savior to us. He showed us the picture of how we can live. He showed us. And Christ the Lord came and he was, God was humble. And he displayed humility. And he came as a dependent little baby. Dependent on his mom for food. Dependent on his family to take care of him. He lived his life in dependence. He died on a cross in dependence. He took from birth till death as a man and lived a dependent life. Lived in humility. He embodied humility, Jesus Christ did. And just catch this. One author wrote this. God took on a body and showed us how to wear it. God took on a body and showed us how to wear it. The creator showed his creation how we should behave as created. And we're so deceived to think that there's glory for ourselves, okay? We want to kind of distinguish ourselves, not surrender. But Christ, the glorious one, surrendered himself. In Philippians chapter 2, well, verse 3, we can start. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Don't merely look for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which also is in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, okay, Jesus Christ was God, he did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. That word is he laid aside his privileges. He cloaked his glory under the veil of the human nature that he took upon himself. He emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. And he was made in the likeness of men. So here he is, all God, all man. And being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Those who are in heaven, those on earth and under the earth, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Glory to the glory of God the Father. He embodied humility. He showed us how to do it. And we're so deceived to think that we're to seek glory for ourselves, right? I want you to notice me, how I look, what I wear, what I have, what stuff I got, where I'm going on vacation, when I speak, when I play games, what my sports are, right? I want you to notice my business and how successful it is. And we're always trying to get glory from other people and from God. We want to distinguish ourselves over and over and over. And Christ did nothing to do that. Matter of fact, you read through the book of John and you just see over and over he did nothing of himself. He didn't seek his own will. He didn't speak his own words. He didn't go where he desired to go, just where the Father go. 
desire to lead him. He just wanted the Father's glory. He modeled dependence on Jesus or on the Father as he was walking as a man. And that's our role, just to depend on God, to surrender to him. The Holy Spirit is with us. So as we wrap this up, just let the Holy Spirit apply this to your life. And I think it's so simple that we lose sight of this. Because we think, well, how do we do this? How do we do this? How are we to live then? Well, I, I think we should contrast how we know we're supposed to live in our world. You see, it's very simple how we're taught to live. And we, we're, it's just ingrained in us and we don't really think a lot about it. But the world system teaches us that we're just to be mature, that we're to be adults, right? That we're to be grown-ups, that we're to have it together. And, and really, I, I just focused on four things. There's a lot of things. But the world system really teaches us that we're to be independent. Isn't that the objective? Right? You want to be independent financially. You don't want to have to count on anybody else. You certainly want to have to give away everything you have and trust that God will provide for you anew tomorrow. Right now, we want to be independent. We don't want to trust that God's going to provide for us for our retirement. We want to make sure we got our retirement taken care of. We want to be independent. We want to be independent as far as how we live, right? Everything's about us. We want to have it together. We want to be self, self, self. We want to be experts. We want to know all the answers, okay? We want to know all the answers. We want to have everything figured out. We want to know what's going to happen next. We're going to know why things happened in the past. We're going to know why things are going to happen in the future. We want to be the experts. You see, we either are trapped by our past and we think somehow we've done something too horrible for God to really love us, or we're trapped by our past and we think someone has done something to us so horrible that we cannot be made whole, that God can't really love us because that happened, or we're worried about the future and planning for the future and we spend nights and nights awake because of the future and how horrible it's going to be. And we turn on the news and we're afraid. And, and we think about the future for our kids and we're afraid, okay? Or we're worried about our past or our future. And we spend all of our time back there, right? But that's what, how adults live. And we're also taught that we want to take care of ourselves first because no one else will. Simple, right? We want to be independent, experts, stuck in the past or worrying about the future and making sure we're taking care of number one. That sounds like our world makes sense to how we live and how we're taught and all of a sudden jesus comes and he says you know whoever humbles himself as his child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and the child is dependent surrendered to christ we simply say god i trust you i surrender to you teachable ask god what what's next it's so funny to think that somehow we can understand and know everything about an infinite God. We never will. And it's so funny to think that we can, oh, I got God figured out. No, you don't. Sorry. None of us do. Our God is higher than we are. We'll never figure God out. He's the infinite one. We are not. He's the creator. We're the creation. We'll never get it. And that's okay. He gives us a glimpse of himself. He gives us enough to, to give us what we need to hold on. And we can ask and learn from him constantly. We can learn to live in the moment. That's one thing Marcia and I have really been focused on and been blessed to is just live in the moment. No point in going to the future. We just live in the moment. And when we do that, we learn that we can just love God with all our heart. And then we'll really know the love of others. So, so just to make this really simple, here's, here's the deal. 
as like these ordinary life events happen, which they happen to every single one of us, our destinies are kind of being worked out, things happen to us, okay? And you find out you have cancer. You find out that you lost your job. You find out that your husband is sick. You find out something happened to your kids, okay? You find out your company is prosperous and you just hit this huge account. You find out you just won this incredible trip. You find out that your health is excellent, okay? You find out that you have uh, incredible relationships everywhere. Life is so good. You know, and all these things come at us and, and we go through life. And each time we go through some big event in life, whether it's good or it's bad, it kind of knocks us off of our balance and we have to stop and get our balance. All of a sudden you find out you have inherited millions of dollars. That knocks you off the balance, right? Just like you find out you have months to live. That knocks you off your balance, okay? And so all we do is stop and say, God, I trust you. I surrender to you. I trust that you know. Show me what you want me to do with this. It's yours. I'm living in this moment right now, trusting you. And I just love you with all my heart and show me how to love others. And all of a sudden, these ordinary things, as we walk through them, we get to experience the extraordinary creator, God. And that's really my desire for each of us, is that we, we go through this life, we see the highs, we see the lows, and we're not knocked off our feet because we know our God and we're trusting him and he's good and he has good plans and they're eternal plans and, he, and we can learn from him and we can live in the moment and we can just love him and love others. You see, we have the answers to the test. Know Christ as your savior, surrender to him as your Lord. It's just a moment by moment walk. And all of a sudden, then your place and your rank in the eternal kingdom is going to be extraordinary, but all you want to do is give the glory to Christ because he did it all and he deserves it all. And when that time comes for each of us to die, you'll have incredible peace because you'll go in before God knowing your Savior is Jesus Christ and he is the answer for every question. Father, I pray for each person in here right now that they would wrestle with God, wrestle with you, that you would just draw them to your throne. God, I pray for those who have not surrendered to you as Savior, that this would be their day. They would simply open their hearts to you and ask you to come into their lives. And if you're one of those people that God is prompting you now, just grab one of us around, come to the front, grab a pastor, grab a friend, and just ask them to pray with you. It's amazing what God does. It's amazing to think about the names that we have been praying for this year and how many over and over and over have come to faith because of Jesus Christ. We give you glory for that, God. And we just pray that you would continue to move and thank you for that privilege. God, for those of us who know you as Savior, I pray that this day, in these moments, we would surrender to you and just abide and rest in you and that you would just live your life through us and that we would just be a mighty army sharing the love and grace of Jesus Christ wherever you send us. Thanks, Father, for the privilege of gathering together today. I thank you for Fall Philip, the chance for us just to be thankful for what an incredible, amazing God we have and what amazing church family we have. 
And uh, let us just enjoy you and enjoy each other. In Jesus' name, amen.